Sorry, brother. <laughs> Thank you to Nathan and the Bell Choir and our worship team for leading us this morning as we come to the throne of our of our God, of our Savior, of the lover of our souls. This morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to two places. First, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and then put your finger there and turn over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. We'll be reading both of those passages this morning as we start our new sermon series for the summer entitled, Worship the One and the Only. Throughout Scripture, we see that God desires for his people to worship him, for them to approach him in a worshipful state of being and to remember him, not just on a specific day, but in all moments and in all ways of their life. And if that is the case, then it stands to reason that we should take consideration of what worship is and how we are to go about having lives marked by it. And so over the course of the next three months, we're going to be looking at several questions in regards to this important topic. We will be using, to some extent, Psalms as our guide for that and then pulling alongside the Word of God to help us to better understand how we are to obey this command to worship. This morning, we start by understanding First, that we do have this command on our life, that we have been created for worship, that we have been called to worship, and then also understanding and beginning to have a definition of what worship is. And so we'll be using these two texts to try to help us to glean that. And so if you would, hopefully by now you've found both of those passages, if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. First, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and then we'll turn over to Matthew. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then turning over to Matthew chapter 13, Starting in verse 44, Jesus is telling a series of parables, and in those parables he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you that you have placed great value on us. That in creating us and breathing into us your spirit, breathing into us life, you have made us differently than the rest of creation. That Throughout history, you have made your desire to have a relationship with us clear. That you have gone to great lengths 
in coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ and living a perfect life and dying for our sacrifices in defeating death through the resurrection that we may know you despite our sin. That you have promised that you have gone to prepare a place for us and that one day that you will return, that you will inaugurate a new heaven and a new earth giving us new bodies and the resurrection that we may live for eternity with you who have placed, we who have placed our faith and trust in you. You have shown us your great value, that you have shown us your great value that you have placed on us. This morning, I pray that as we consider this word worship and we consider the call on our lives, that we would understand the great worth of you. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand, Lord, what you have called us into, and pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Over, as I said, over the course of the next few months, we will be, we are going to look together as a church body at this word, worship. And we're going to be answering several different questions in regards to who do we worship? Why do we worship God? Where do we worship? With whom do we worship? How do we worship? And we're going to spend a good chunk of our summer answering the question of how Because my guess is, is that in a room this big, and we talked about this a little bit this morning, but in a room this big, if I were to go around and ask, what is worship? How do we worship? That we would get a whole range of answers in terms of its definition and in terms of practice, in terms of emotions, and in terms of even our expectations for what worship looks like. We all bring with us different uh, backgrounds, different cultures, different uh, experiences that tie into that. And so this morning, the first question that we are going to answer together is what is worship? To give us a working definition that we will use the rest of the summer when we talk about What is worship? So that we are all on the same page as we begin this discussion that will take us several months. Before we do that, though, I want us to understand and I wanted us to focus on the fact of why this word worship and why this topic is so important, which brings us to our passage in 2 Peter where he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As we look at this passage, we understand that, or we can begin to understand our call to worship, that we have been created for this purpose In doing so, Peter, the Holy Spirit really, through the end of Peter, helps us to understand a few things. First, he helps us to understand that we are chosen. That we have been chosen for a specific position and a specific task. Namely, the position of priest. 
We believe as as Baptists, especially in the priesthood of the believer, that everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ by faith and follows him has been made a priest in the kingdom of God. But it didn't happen by happen chance. It didn't happen by accident. No, it says that you were chosen, that you were selected. I don't know about you, but in my life, I have had different positions, and they vary in terms of how I got there. There have been times when I have had jobs or tasks that I find myself in the middle of doing, and I'm elbow deep in whatever it is, and I ask the question, how did I get here? My guess is you've had the same experience, that you've been doing a job, and you've thought to yourself, how did I end up being the one that was doing this? I'm sure Norm and Richard yesterday as they were painting and looking white as snow were thinking as they were spraying, how did I end up being the one doing this? And when that happens, it's different than when we find ourselves in a job or position where we were selected. There have been times in my life as well that someone has come to me and said, I, this is a position that I want you to fill that I see gifts and talents in you and I desire for you to to take it. In fact, we've created this position with you in mind and the weight that comes with that, there's a great difference that comes with that kind of of task, with that kind of position than one where you just kind of stumble into it. In that position, there's there's an expectation, there's even a pressure to, to make sure that you are are fulfilling that which you have been chosen to do. And in this case, as I said earlier, you were chosen to be a priest. The priests in the Old Testament were the Levites. It was a specific tribe, a specific family in the nation of Israel that was chosen to serve God in the temple. And their duties varied. But In essence, they were to be the go-between from the nation of Israel to God. They received offerings from the nation of Israel on behalf of God. They led the congregation in singing. They led the congregation in the, the rituals and the holidays of the nation of Israel. They corrected Israel in times when God was upset. There was times that the priest would have to go out and say, hey, we're doing this incorrectly. We need to change how we're going about our lives. There were times that they would encourage that they were the go-between. Now, on this side of the cross, we understand that we don't need a human go-between, that our mediator is Christ himself. And as Hebrews says, we are able, as those that have been adopted into the family, to walk into the presence of God, not with timidity, but with boldness, knowing that because of his blood and the justification that he has done in our lives that we are now able to have a direct relationship with the lover of our souls we are now our own priest under the head priest of Jesus Christ and yet we have some duties that go along with that but before we get to that we see something else we see that not only are we chosen but that we have been made holy We are a holy nation. We are a set-apart nation. That's what the word holy means, to set apart. In the Old Testament, the priest would be set apart. They would be consecrated by the sprinkling of blood. 
there would be an animal sacrifice, and some of the blood from that animal sacrifice would be placed on those priests to, to set them apart, to signify that their sins had been covered, to signify that they were to be different. For us today, no longer is there a need for animal sacrifice because we have been made holy, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. He died on the cross paying for our sins and then he rose from the grave defeating death on our behalf so that now when we place our faith and trust in him, we are made holy. We are consecrated for service in the priesthood by God himself, not by human hands, not by the sacrifice of animals, but by God himself. Again, the idea here that, that I want us to see is the magnitude of being chosen by God to be a priesthood, to being made holy, not by humans, but by God himself. And we see a third thing, that we are his. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are not our own You'll remember what we read uh, several weeks ago in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says that our right act of worship is to, be, to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That while there is no longer a need for, for blood of animals to be shed, that still we come before our king, we come before God and say, my life is yours because we understand the magnitude of what he has done and what he has called us into, that we are chosen, that we are holy. And so we are also his. We've been adopted into this family, into this priesthood. And Paul tells us why. Why have we been adopted? Why has he chosen us? Why has he set us apart and made us holy? He tells us that it is so we may proclaim saying there at the end of our passage, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has done all of these things. He has chosen you. He has selected you to be a priest before him. He has made you holy. He has saved you. He has made you his. He has adopted you into the family so that we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who has done all of these things. May we proclaim the name of the God who has saved us for all of eternity. And there's two ways to look at that. One of those is that it is through proclamation in terms of sharing the gospel, of evangelizing. And certainly that is a right way to, to look at this. But there is a bigger umbrella, so to speak, that a bigger term that we can look at, and that is worship. We have been called, chosen. We have been made holy. We have been made his, that we may worship him. We may worship him. John, or Jesus, sorry, Jesus in the gospel of John sits with a lady at the well, a Samaritan lady who no one else wants anything to do with, and they're having a discussion. And at some point in that discussion, she looks at Jesus and she asks him a question. She says, what do you think? Should we worship on this hill or should we worship on the hill that's in Jerusalem? 
And Jesus' response is this, there is coming a day when no one will worship in either one, but rather those that are truly his will worship in spirit and in truth. He says, even now God is seeking out those who he can call to worship. That is you and I, friend, that we have been, we have been chosen, we have been saved, we have been called we have even been created that we would be worshipers of the one and the only true God. And as we look through the text, as we look through the entirety of Scripture, what we find is that worship is not limited to just one experience one day a week, but rather it is something that is to be present in all of our life. It is something that is to be a mark everything that we do. And so if that is the case, if we have been called to worship, if we have been made holy to proclaim his excellencies, if we are his and we have presented ourselves as living sacrifices, then we must ask the question, what is worship? If that is such a big part of what it means to be a believer and to be a child of God, then we must ask, what is worship? Which brings us to our text in Matthew let me read that again for you. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found cover and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. As we think about what the question, what is worship, I want you to keep these verses in the back of your mind to remember the great value that each of these individuals places on their find, on what they have discovered, because it shapes how we define this word worship. As we look at the word itself, it is split into two parts. The word worth, the root word, worth, and the suffix ship. Now the word worth, most of us have a pretty, uh, pretty familiar relationship with. Worth is to have, for something to have value or to be worthy of dignity and respect, to be important. And some things are worth a great deal based on what they are. Gold, we have as a world placed great value on gold. And that amount, that worth is set by not just an individual, but by the market, so to speak. And so we know it's worth. Other things of our great value based on the beholder. We have what we call sentimental value. And it's worth something to me, but it may not be worth anything to you. I think of, uh, in particular, um, a, a glass rooster. My, my great-grandmother passed away a number of years ago, and I can remember my grandfather, my mom's dad, sitting me down and saying, is there anything that you would like from great-grandma Mary? And my response was, I want the rooster. And the, the expression on his face was one of shock, amusement, 
and a little bit of disappointment. <laughs> and so he said, go get it. So I ran downstairs. I knew exactly where it was. I grabbed this rooster, and it is blown glass, and it's got different colors inside of it. And to many, it would be the most hideous thing that you've ever seen in the world. But to me, it always sat in a prominent place in my grandmother, my great-grandmother's house. And so for me, it was a reminder of her. And now it sits in a great place of prominence in my mom and dad's house. Because that's where I put it. Much to the opposition of my mom. But she has respected my wishes. How it has not ended up at my house, I don't know. But it is, it, it's not worth anything except for to me. Here's the thing, as we think about this in terms of, of our definition here. So we have worth, we have something of value. So a side question that we're not going to answer this morning, but that we're going to answer in the future is, what is the worth of God? If, he is, if we are to worship him, what is his value? Is it based on what we place his value on, or does, it have a, does he have a value of his own? We're not going to answer that question. That's going to come in the weeks to come. But we have this word worth. Well, that's the root word. The second part of it is ship. It is a state of being. We have other words that have the same ending. Friendship, membership, fellowship. We could go on and on. But all of them have the same kind of thought process that whatever the, the root word is, that you are in the state of that. If you have a friendship with someone, if you enter into a friendship, then you two are in the state of being friends. If you are in fellowship or have membership in something, you're in the state of being. So when we talk about worship, we are talking about the state of something having value. One dictionary puts it this way. It is the condition of being worthy, the condition of dignity, the condition of being of glory, of distinction, honor, and renown. So we have this idea then that this word, at least from a worldly standpoint, is something that is worthy, something that is valuable or deserving of honor as being valuable. So then how do we apply this in relation to God? Well, the working definition that we're going to be using for the next few months is that worship is placing supreme value on God. Let me say that again. Worship is placing supreme value on God. If that is what the word means, that it is worth being honored, worth being valued, worth importance, then if we are to worship God, then we are to value him above all things. That's what we have been called to do. Now, there's a couple of caveats with this. The first caveat is that if we are to place supreme value on God, if that's what we're saying worship is, then we, we place supreme value on who he is, not on who we would like him to be. When we come to worship God, we worship him as who he is, not who we would like him to be. To do anything different would be idolatry. Let me say that again. That when we come to praise supreme value on God, when we come to worship God, we do so based on who he is, not who we want him to be. And to do anything different is idolatry. Now, when we think of idol worship, we think of somebody bowing down before a statue or sacrificing before a statue made out of gold or wood or whatever. We think of other religions. We think of other parts of the world. 
Maybe we even think of the Old Testament. But there are those that would, would walk around and proclaim themselves to be believers in Jesus Christ, but the God that they worship is one of their own creation. For some folks, it, they have created a God in their mind that is basically a divine Santa Claus. That they look at God as just someone or something who is there to provide for their every wish and their every want. That he gives them gifts and that is all that he is good for. And it is marked by their prayer life. You look at what they pray for and that it is very superficial. But that's how they view God. And what they have done is they have stripped away pretty much everything that the scripture says about who God is, and they have made a God of their own design, and that's who they pray to and they worship. That's idolatry. That's idol worship. There are others in our, in, that walk around that would say the same thing, that they are believers, that they are Christians, and they would focus solely on the love of God. And they would say, God is all love. God is accepting. God embraces everyone and everything. And in doing so, they strip away the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God. They strip away any thought of sin and that God would say that that is wrong and that he holds people responsible for it. That is creating a God of your own image. That is idolatry. And when the Bible calls us to worship, when it calls us to place supreme value on the one true God, the one and only, it, play, it asks us to do so based on who he is as we see in Scripture, not on what we would like him to be. The second caveat that I would say there as we come to place supreme value on God is that we do so on his terms, not on our preferences. When we come to worship God, we do so on his terms, not on our own preferences. What we see in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, But Samuel declared, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obedience to his word? You see, what had happened was there was a king named Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And Samuel had told Saul, God has, has declared this, that this city over here has been incredibly evil. And he sends Saul to go and to destroy that city. And Saul is not to leave anything living. He's to completely wipe it out. And Saul goes and he fights and he is victorious, but he keeps the sheep and the goats and the livestock, and he's bringing them back to Jerusalem, and he meets Samuel the prophet, and Samuel stands there, and he says, hey, I've been victorious. I've did what you told me to, Saul says, I did what you told me to do. And Samuel says, then why do I hear the bleeding of goats and the, the mooing of cows? Why do I hear living things? And Saul's response is, well, I have brought them back that we may sacrifice them at the temple. He makes an excuse. He says, yeah, I know I didn't really obey, but it's a good thing. It's so that we might worship God. And Samuel's response is, what do you think God prefers? Do you think he prefers burnt offerings? Or do you think he prefers obedience? You see, we come to worship God on his terms, not on our preferences. Let me put it in a different way. My mom 
my mom chokes up every time I give her flowers. Now, when I mean that, I mean that she literally chokes up. Her throat closes up and she can't breathe, okay? I don't know what you guys were thinking, but that's, that's what she has. So she has told us not to give her flowers, not to show our worship for her, not in that sense, but in a lower sense, not to show our appreciation for her with flowers. If I were to ignore that and bring my mom flowers, would that be showing her love and kindness? Absolutely not. Because I have disobeyed her. I have ignored her wishes. If Melissa were to come to me and say, hey, I, I know that it's normal for on Valentine's Day or an anniversary to get chocolates, but that's not really my thing. Chocolates really aren't my thing. By the way, this is not true. <laughs> but it's not really my thing. If I were to every birthday and every anniversary and every Mother's Day and every Valentine's Day to buy my wife a pound of chocolate, two pounds of chocolate, 10 pounds of chocolate, and to deliver that to her, no matter how much or how grand or how expensive, would that be showing my wife love? No, because I have ignored her wishes. I have ignored her opinion. I have not loved her the way that she receives love. We understand that. We can grasp that. Then why can we not grasp that God has called us to worship in some specific ways? Why do we ignore those wishes? You see, to worship based on our preferences and not on his terms is disobedience. So yes, we are called to worship. We are called to place supreme value on God. We are too, as John Piper says, to worship. In a, worship is a valuing and a treasuring of God above all things. We are to do that, but we do it based on who he is, not who we would like him to be. We do it based on his terms, not on our preferences. This leads then to the next question. Do we worship if we have been called to worship, if we have been created to worship, if we have been chosen to worship, if we've been made holy so that we may worship before a holy God, if we understand that worshiping is valuing God above all things, then the question is, do we worship? And again, this takes us back to Matthew the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, as we think about worship, that it is placing supreme value on God, we must ask the question, do we grasp his value? When we look at these two passages, you see the individual that, that is plowing this field and in the, in the midst of working this field, he hits something and he finds this treasure and upon seeing the treasure, he knows its worth immediately. He understands what it is and how it could change his life. 
The merchant who has probably dealt in pearls most of his life, he goes to the docks and they are pulling in the hall and in the midst of all the other pearls that are laid out, he sees that one pearl and he knows its worth. He knows that it, that is so valuable that it could change his life. He understands it when he sees it. Do we understand the value of God? Do we understand that he has created us? Do we understand that he is the one that continues to give us life? Do we understand what he did on the cross in dying for us? Do we understand the resurrection and the victory he has won over death? Do we understand what it means when he says that we will one day join in that resurrection, that one day too we will live forever, not in bodies that fail us, not in a world that disappoints, but in perfect harmony, a place with no more tears, no more goodbyes, no more illness, no more sickness? Do we understand the value of all of that he gives us, and do we understand the value of who he is, that when we look upon him, it is instantaneous? That is the most valuable thing I can have. That changes everything. These guys understood, both of these individuals understood the value of what they had found. But it wasn't just that they understood the value of what they had found. They also did everything in their power to obtain it. So as we ask the question, do we worship? It's not just that we would understand the value of God, but that we would, under, that we would desire to know him. That we would do everything in our power to grab hold of him, for him to be ours, not in the sense that we own Jesus, but in the sense that we have a relationship with him. These guys went home and they sold everything. They went about getting rid of all of their other possessions because they knew that the thing that they had found was worth everything. I can only imagine the excitement of the man in the field as he hits this treasure and he begins to, to brush it off thinking maybe it's a rock that needs to be removed or whatever the case may be. And as he brushes it off, he realizes that no, this is a life-changing treasure. And so he hits his knees and he begins to cover it up with dirt and try to make it look like the rest of the field. And then he takes a little rock and he places it on top so that he can find it again. And he just prays, Alan, that no one moves his soul, little tiny rock. The, the merchant who sees this, this pearl and he knows because he's dealt in these things time and time again and he runs home to his wife and he says, sell everything that we have. Can you imagine that conversation? If you go home and you tell, I tell Melissa, sell the house, sell the cars, sell all of Rosemary's stuff, sell all of our stuff, sell everything because if we buy this, we can buy all new better. My wife is going to look at me like I'm insane. But I'm going to do everything in my power to obtain it. And so the question is, have you done that, friend? Do you understand the value of God? Do you understand the promises that he's made? Do you understand the gift that he gives in salvation? And have you done everything in your power to obtain it? Have you come before him and confessed your sin saying, I know that I've screwed up. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose and defeated death and now that I can share in that victory and I commit to follow you the rest of my days that I may obtain you.
that I may obtain that which changes lives forever. Do we know him? And then do our lives reflect that? Do our lives reflect that? It's one thing for us to grasp his value. It's one thing for us to know him and know his value and to have gained possession of it and have salvation that is gifted by Jesus Christ. It's another thing for us to reflect that, to our, for our lives to be marked by worship. There was no doubt in anyone who observed these two gentlemen in, the, in these two parables, there was no doubt in anyone who observed them that they valued that pearl, that they valued that treasure more than anything else in their life. They were willing to sacrifice everything. They were willing to be thought of as crazy so that they may purchase that which changes lives. Their actions spoke loudly. The question before us this morning is, do our lives do the same? Do our lives speak loudly that we worship the one true God? That we have found something more valuable than anything the world has to offer? Let me ask it this way. If I were to go to your children or your grandchildren, or your nieces, or your nephews, or to your co-workers, or to your friends, and I were to ask them, what is valuable to that individual? What is valuable to you? What would be their answer? What would what would they respond? Would, would God and your relationship with Jesus Christ even make the list? Because from the outside, people sometimes see us clearer than, they, than we see ourselves, right? There are times that we get so busy and so caught up in the world and what we're doing that we miss things. But others sometimes are, have a better vision. They have a clearer picture of our lives what would they say as they look at where you spend your time, how you spend your time, the things that, that you are obviously clearing your schedule to make happen? What would they say is valuable to you? We are, we are quite frankly, losing a generation. There was a time in our in our country, when pretty much everyone you talked to went to church or understood the value of church, at least, whether they were believers or not, that is no longer the case. We, are no long, we should no longer delude or disillusion ourselves that we live in that country anymore. We are losing a generation. And we see the effects of it. You want to see the future of that? Look at Europe. This place that used to be the missionary sending locale of the world, this place with so many beautiful churches that proclaim the glory of God, and now they sit as tourist attractions. That's the future if things do not change. But I share that with you to share this. 
Why is that happening? I believe in part it happens because our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews look at our lives and though we proclaim him with our lips and in our songs, that our lives speak that we value other things. And if we don't value God, then why should they? If he is not of supreme importance to us, why should they? Do, we, do our lives reflect his worth? Do they reflect our worship of him? This morning, we call on ourselves to respond to the message of the word of God. That we would look into the mirror of Scripture and ask ourselves these hard and difficult questions. These things that at times make us very uncomfortable We ask, is this true of me? Maybe this morning as we have a time of our response, maybe your response is to come to the altar and just ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's to come to the altar and praise him for what he has done, remembering his worth that he has given you. Maybe it's to stay at your chair and and sit there and just ask the Lord, give me that passion, give me that fire to understand and and open my eyes to the great worth that that you are to the great value that you are, to the life-changing treasure that you are. And Lord, help me to have a life of worship that reflects that. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you have never done that. Maybe this morning you realize I don't have a relationship with him. I know about him. I've heard his name before. I know that he's good. I know that that that's the way to heaven, but I have never actually given my life to him. I've never actually grabbed hold of him. He's just a treasure in a field that I've covered up somewhere, but I've never actually tried to buy it. I've never tried to make it mine. This morning, would you come? Would you pray to him? Just talk to God and say, please forgive me. I believe you are who you say you are, and I want to follow you. Would you do that this morning? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have that time of response this morning. As they do that, let me pray. Father, we come before you. And Father, we have before us a a question. Do we worship? And do we worship rightly? Are you... Are you what's valuable to us more than anything else? And would others who are looking at our lives know that? Father, I pray that you would forgive us when we have become distracted, when we've become busy. And Lord, that, that, that we have put you like a, like a toy on a shelf for later. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of that, that we would make you front and center of everything. Father, I pray that you would give us a right heart in that that we would understand the joy and the rejoicing and the fellowship that happens when we make you first. That we would understand that it changes lives for the better. Father, I pray for the one here that does not know you, that this morning, Lord, that it would weigh on their hearts. I have never made that commitment. I know him, I've heard of him, but I don't really have that relationship that saves. I don't know what would happen if I died tonight. 
Father, I pray that you would help them to respond in this moment. Father, help us to worship you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.